Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift it is to us to teach us, to train us, to rebuke us, to inspire us. Lord, we pray if, if we are sitting too comfortably in our lives, then through your word today, you will challenge us. We pray if we are feeling very challenged in our lives, then you will comfort us. And we pray that wherever we're at, you will cause us to worship you and cause us to want to walk with you every day, closer and closer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Normally when I, I go preaching, I'm, a, I'm a, in the Baptist lay preachers in the same way as, as Jim McNulty was a member of the Baptist lay preachers. Normally when I go, I, I take a, a single Bible passage and expound it. But I'm going to do something a little bit different today. It's, it's a little bit more on a theme. And, and we're going to look at the life of Mary Magdalene. Uh, and, I, and I would imagine most of you have never, never heard a sermon on the life of Mary Magdalene. I wonder, what do we think we know about Mary Magdalene? The chances are, a lot of what we think we know has come from popular culture. Jesus Christ Superstar, the musical. Uh, the Da Vinci Code, the book. And, and a lot of fables and and things that, frankly, are not biblical. In fact, the Bible only mentions Mary Magdalene in about ten verses in, in the whole of the New Testament, in the Gospels. So, first of all, um, what, the, what I'm going to do is, I'm again, doing something a little bit different from what I normally do. I'm going to look at the life of Mary Magdalene, first of all, and how she engaged with Jesus. But do quite a lot of it using photos and art because she's appeared in an awful lot of art through history some of which is biblical and some of which is very much not biblical and I think it's good that we set our views on this lady and the way Jesus engaged with people from the Bible and not from myth and culture this is uh, I think it's a photo, actually, from the end of the 19th century of the place on the Sea of Galilee called Magdala. And I guess we think Mary Magdalene must have come from Magdala. And there's a chance that's actually how she got the name. You see, at that time, Mary was about the commonest name that ladies had. So you had Mary of Bethany, you had Mary of Nazareth, who was the mother of Jesus. You've got Mary... Magdalene, presumably from Magdala. But there's also another possibility that the word Magdala means strong tower. So you had Peter, who was the rock, and Mary in Jesus' disciple group, who was the strong tower. So that's another possibility for the meaning of the word. But what has, has popular culture all through the centuries, even through the, the millennia, uh, said about Mary Magdalene, well, they've often portrayed her as a very pensive, reflective, vulnerable 
lady. That may or may not be the truth. When we come to scripture in a moment, you may get another impression of her. That's another painting that, that shows Mary falling at the feet of Jesus. And often in popular culture, it's almost been portrayed that she could have had even an improper relationship with him. Uh, she's there. She clearly had a very close relationship with him, and we'll see why that may be. It may be an act of thankfulness, but it's often been portrayed as, as improper. In this picture, this is Jesus taken down from the cross, and you can see Mary is the one who's holding the hands of the crucified Jesus as he's carried away to be buried. Clearly a very special, uh, very special relationship as one of Jesus' disciples, but not perhaps, again here, as often portrayed in art as, as, as a repentant prostitute, uh, um, an improper a lady. That actually came about in about the 500s when a, a bishop conflated together the woman of ill repute, Mary Magdalene, uh, a lady with demons, con conflated them all together, different people who are mentioned in the Bible, and, and put, portrayed her as a mixture of those three. So is that really the sort of lady that Jesus had? So what does the Bible actually say about Mary Magdalene? Because I think we should form our views from that. Well, this is a painting showing when Mary Magdalene had, had demons driven out of her. That's biblical. We'll read that verse in a second. So this is the point at which Jesus healed her. So Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 to 3 says, after this, whatever this before was event that happened, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, the twelve male disciples, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So Mary had been healed. And first in the list, Mary, called Magdalene, just to explain which Mary we're talking about of the very many, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now we wonder, what does, what does this mean, seven demons? Did she have mental health issues? Was she actually spiritually possessed in some way? Well, again, there's different views on even what that expression means. One possibility is that, that there have been six attempts by different other people to cure her uh, of a mental problem, spiritual problem, a deep emotional problem, and they hadn't succeeded. But on the seventh attempt, Jesus had healed her. Jesus' power was so much greater than the other workers who were around at the time. Uh, there's also this possibility that seven being a perfect number in, in biblical terms, this means that, that this was a very, very difficult healing to be done. That it was a perfect healing that Jesus did from something that, that clearly no one else could do. So there's all sorts of things that could be in that. Uh, but what's clear is that Jesus had come to, he, she'd come to Jesus and Jesus had healed her and turned her life around. And as a result, she was living her life with Jesus and for Jesus.
This is a painting of the women at the foot of the cross, the three Marys. And the one in the middle is Mary Magdalene, the one, the one who just will not let go of the Lord that she so loves. Mark 15.40 says, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And John 19, John's version, says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. These ladies were the ones who, at Jesus' time of being abandoned by God on the cross, they were the ones who stayed there. No one else. We must honour them for that. And this is a painting showing the day of resurrection. The, the, the two angels at the mouth of the tomb and the women coming there. And Mary Magdalene is the one on the left in a very elaborate, rich red dress. So that hints she may not just be you know, a troubled lady on the margins of society living in poverty, but actually she was a lady of means. And then scripture begins to back some of this up, we'll see in a minute. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. She was, had the privilege given her of being the first witnesses of the resurrection. And then that's the risen Jesus, with Mary coming to being seeing him when he was walking resurrected and, and he's saying you know don't hold on to me I must go to my father and your father my God and your God uh, but the spirit will be given Mark 16 verse 9 says and this is in the extension of Mark's gospel when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to Mary Magdalene again out of whom he had driven seven demons. So what salvation Jesus brought to Mary in the early days is now reflected in her being the first one to see him alive. So there's something very special in the way Mary had responded to Jesus and turned her life around and dedicated it. So what had Jesus saved Mary Magdalene for? And by extension we begin to think, what does Jesus save us for? John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, in Jesus' teaching, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. It's a promise. I have come that they, that you and me, may have life and have it to the full. Jesus has come that these people in Malawi may have life and have it to the full. Jesus doesn't want us limping along, struggling in the way that Mary Magdalene had done all through her earlier life with, with people of various medical or non-medical uh, qualifications failing to help her. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which bears itself right out in the way we live our lives. Jesus wants to touch everything. And he says, I am the bread of life. Now notice he doesn't say, I give you the bread of life. I give you the basics. Of course he does that. But he's actually saying, I am the bread of life. I am what you eat on. I am what you feed on. I am what you survive on. 
And that is Mary's experience of him when she drew close to him after he freed her. Back to that verse in Luke 8 we looked at at the beginning. I'll read the first bit again. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's on mission. He's doing his message out to the world. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. But who else were these women? Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them. That's Jesus and the group of 12 disciples were helping to support them out of their own means. And look, it says Joanna, she's kind of like on the edge of the royal, you know, the royal entourage. She's part of the royal family, as it were, in, or, or at least the support team around the royal family. They were ladies of means who were using the money they had to enable mission and ministry to happen. And we often put so much emphasis on Jesus and the 12 disciples, and we forget the key role these ladies have had in Jesus' ministry. And equally, we can undervalue the important role that ladies can play within the ministry of the church today. So we mustn't do that. We all have our place. Without those ladies, the men wouldn't have been able to go about doing what they were doing. Mark 15 says, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, Joseph and Salome. That's at the uh, at the time of Jesus' trial. In Galilee, i.e. when they were on mission in the ministry before, in Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for Jesus' needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. The women didn't run away when Jesus came to the time of trial. They had a strength in them. They had contributed all the way through this ministry and they were not being deflected by the fact that he was going through his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So let's move a bit to Malawi and see how we can apply this into what we're doing in Malawi and then think finally about how this may therefore have something to teach us in the way we live our lives now and we go on mission and ministry amongst the people out there on Isla. We were talking last night, um, myself with Andrew, and we were saying maybe it's only three, what's it say, three or three or four percent at the most of people on Isla who'll be in, in, in church, in one of the churches today. If you take the whole of Scotland, the figures may be one or two percent. There is a, a massive amount to do. So, a little bit on Malawi, which will fill you in a bit with our work, but it's done thinking about in the context of what we've learnt from Mary. So, Malawi is a landlocked country in the southeastern part of Africa. Uh, it's one of the ten poorest countries in the world, but it's peaceful. It's not war-torn. In many ways, you're as safe there as you are here. Um, so, the Caruso Trust was founded by Ruth and myself, all those 11, 12 years ago now. Um, but we work with, now with a Malawian team. It began with myself and Connex, who you saw in the video, 
getting together after we talked in 2011. But now we've built up a Malawian team and all the ministry is happening there. Rural Malawi is a very beautiful place, but it has many challenges and many opportunities. It's a very young population. 21% of the population in Scotland are children under 18. In Malawi, it's 50%. 50% under 15, under 18, sorry. And 75% are children or youth under 30s. 75% of the population. Traditional religion, culture practices are there very much. And Islam is growing. I call Malawi the soft front of Islam. Uh, it's not hard like North, North Africa and the Middle East is for Christians, but it's becoming a soft front. The Muslim population is growing. Mosques like that are being built all over the place uh, using Middle Eastern oil money, even where Muslims don't live. And over 90% of the church leaders are untrained, just at the most basic level, never had a day of training for their ministries. Our partners work in the community around, like you saw with the Imbwa film, uh, and they are very good at what, I'm using the term holistic ministry. That means they're, they're bringing all the caring side and the preaching side very much together as one. They don't divide these things up and feel, oh, you know, we need to care for people, but we can't preach the gospel. The two are seen very much as one and the same thing, all part of the same. So evangelism, bringing people to Christ, discipleship, leading them on. After all, we're called to make disciples, not to make converts. Works of compassion, especially people in need in that sort of community. Social justice, where people are, are getting injustice. And now increasingly, creation care is becoming an important part of mission. Uh, uh, and I'm going to show you pictures just to illustrate what they are doing to achieve all five of those pillars of holistic ministry. Evangelism and discipleship in the rural community. You go out and run a rally in the community and hundreds will turn up. And you'll preach the gospel to them. Uh, this is uh, an HIV support group that we set up. And I went and preached the gospel there. And 20 or something wanted to give their lives to Christ. It's amazing. You know, it really is inspiring when you realise that... that how fruitful the, the ground is, uh, the openness to the gospel that we, we so long for amongst people here. Um, that's actually a picture of me when, uh, when I, uh, earlier in the year when I was, I was speaking. And there were probably the best part of a thousand people there. It's, it's uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite an experience, actually. And hanging on your every word as you share out of God's word. And this was a group of people who'd lost all their homes in, in the Cyclone Freddy earlier this year. And they were living in this school classroom because their houses were uninhabitable. And I was told on the way there, we want you to give them a gospel message of hope. And that's what, while I was doing that. And then that was people wanting to give their lives to Christ afterwards. And... Uh, they then need discipling. And of course, with untrained church leaders, that's really hard. So people often fall away and then come back when they hear it again. So it's a big task of discipling, and that is needed to be done 
through training the church leaders to train their congregations. This is uh, a group including my son Timothy who went to Malawi in uh, May, June and did sports ministry in the schools. And the schools thanked them for coming and for sharing the gospel with them. Uh, and I gather you've got the excitement of, of that happening a lot within the schools here. But there's so many places in Scotland where, where you even mention the word Jesus, it seems, at Easter and, 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 you're, and, and you're out with a flea in your ear. Uh, the schools there were welcoming them in and many were giving their lives to Christ through this sports ministry. Works of compassion, child-headed families. In a, in a storm and a flood, actually, that house was completely destroyed. I took that photo and I was back six months later and all that was left was the outline of where the foundations were. It had just had floods take it out because they're not built with cement, they're built with mud mortar. Child-headed families, this was a family where Parents had died and that older girl was trying to bring up these, these younger children. Um, so that's praise in the J-Life team who'd been giving them some food and some support. This is the floods earlier this year, the Storm Freddy. These are the houses that were destroyed. Uh, and we, we held an emergency appeal, stepped out from what we normally do, held an emergency appeal to help these, these families. Uh, plastic sheeting so they could start to seal it off and then rebuild later. And that's a child-headed family. That's their lounge. The, 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 the end that faced the storm, the rain just takes the mortar out between the rocks, the, the bricks rather, and they collapse. So able to give them basics like cooking utensils and buckets so they can get water to rebuild and plastic sheeting. That's what's in that yellow sachet is, is plastic black sheeting. Things like that. And I had the privilege to just take part in one of the days of distribution with the funds we'd raised. Water, we saw that at Imbwa, that's the Imbwa pump. Social justice, this is a widow who's being accused of witchcraft because she's a widow. Uh, if ladies are childless, then they can often be accused of being witches and that's why they haven't got family and, and so on. So helping the chiefs understand that isn't the case and that you need to uphold social justice for these people who, who are being despised within the community because of, um, just because of false views from traditional religion. Social justice, community support groups for people with HIV. This was going into a primary school where we discovered so many 11 and 12 year olds were reporting for antenatal. And this was because of abuse going on in the community. Motorcycle taxi men who had a bit of money were buying this young girl for five pounds for the night from the parents who had no money. Um, and, and over 90% of these primary girls had, had, had been engaged in sexual things, that most of which they didn't want to do. But this, this was a community situation. So we've kicked off an initiative with the chiefs that have a lot of this and put bylaws in place and change the culture in the communities and make the chiefs uphold it rather than say this is our tradition and we must support it. So helping work to bring safeguarding is part of compassion and creation care. Flash floods go through where deforestations happened. You heard about charcoal burning going on. That's because 85% of Malawians have no electricity. So they're all cooking on charcoal, which comes from the wood. And there's, the trees are all cut down, and the flash flooding comes, and things are destroyed. I don't know if you can see, but in the middle of this picture is a sort of hillock 
and that's where trees are being regenerating. The chief in that area is taking seriously the need to protect the area, and particularly where it's a vulnerable area that will lead to flash flooding in his village. Um, whereas the, bit, the land further away to the left, you can see, is completely denuded of trees. Um, so working with them to help them understand why that's important has a big difference on their lives practically, but it's also deeply theological. Us caring for creation is something that we must do. So all these things, evangelism, compassion, creation care, discipleship, social justice, they all, I don't know how you draw a Venn diagram with five things overlapping, but they all are part of proclaiming God's love and sharing the love of Jesus. You'll hear this evening, if you come back, about our Learn to Serve training in ch uh, of church leaders. Over the last 11 years now, from conversations I had with Connex on my second visit to Malawi, we've now trained thousands of church leaders all over Malawi with a basic toolkit for Bible-driven ministry rather than culturally-driven ministry. This is Praise, one of them in the team, just teaching about, um, about the, uh, the role of the church in the community. Uh, very often the church thinks they're just there for themselves. But actually the church is there for the community. Do we think that way as well? And now we have training going out to the village chiefs as well, both for safeguarding of, of young girls, but, but much more for the principles of uh, accountability, integrity, good development, and discipleship of themselves. And many chiefs got a real move of chiefs coming to faith in the area all around where the J-Life team are based, where the chiefs have said, you're doing all this other work in our community. What about us? We need help to be better chiefs. And so many testimonies saying, before this, I was part of the problem. When aid, money, when aid food came in, I gave it to my friends. I didn't allocate it to the ones who were most in need. I'm convicted of that. I repent of that. And I'm now going to do it properly. Uh, I'm not going to just... Be, a, be subject to corruption. That begins to transform a community when you've got your chiefs and your church leaders trained and following discipleship and patterns of integrity. So that's how it's all coming together. Training youth, the next generation as well, to be the next church leaders. So we don't say in a generation's time, 90% have never had any training. Training thousands, the leaders, to reach the hundreds of thousands for Christ in Malawi. When you have the openness to the gospel, you need your church leaders to be teaching biblical things. So please journey with us uh, in what we're doing with that. Um, over there is a table on the left-hand end, free literature, including the prayer diary that Ruth writes every month very faithfully. There's some paper copies. There's a sign-up sheet if you want to have it sent you by post or by email. <coughs> Um, other literature on the left. On the right is cards which we, um, photos of mine of Malawi and some watercolours painted by our daughter Rachel, which we sell just as fundraising. Um, they're, they're available, including Christmas cards, they're available as well. Do have a look at that. Um, and 100% of donations go to the work in Malawi. We've, we've, we've structured things so that every, every penny goes to Malawi from donations. So coming back now to yourselves, how might you be the hands and feet of Christ to all the Mary Magdalene's of Isla? We've seen in a way how they're doing it in Malawi to many of the Mary Magdalene's in the community in, in, in and around Malawi. We saw how Jesus brought real life 
and stability and growth to her. And she responded with such devotion. Well, this is Jesus' instruction to all his disciples, including us. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. We may not have those exact gifts now, but there are other gifts and other needs we need to meet. He says, freely you have received, so freely give. Why do we do it? We do it because he loved us. We do it because we know what change he has brought in our lives. And we can't sit unmoved by that. How did Jesus then send them out on mission? It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them out two by two ahead of him. Interesting. To every town and place he was about to go. So when Jesus sends us somewhere... He's sending us to prepare the way for somewhere that by his spirit, he is going to go. So we don't go alone and we don't go knowing nobody's behind us. He sends us to go to the places that he is going to follow behind us too. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. There's, i.e., there's lots of places I want to go and reap, but the workers are few. So, two things to do. One, ask. That means pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in his harvest field. Pray that people will be sent out, whether it's to Port Ellen, whether it's to Isla, whether it's to Scotland, whether it's to Malawi, or anywhere else in the world. Pray that the Lord will raise people to go there, because where they go, Jesus wants to be following by his Spirit having action in the lives of Mary Magdalene's in those places. Ask, and number two, go. It's not just somebody else that has to do this. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. It's not going to be easy. But his instruction is pray for people to go, and go yourself as you are able, as is appropriate. Go, and know it won't be easy, but he is with us. He has got our backs. He is behind us. And he holds back from going to places until someone is willing to go before him. And that's a challenge we felt in our lives. It's a challenge I throw out to you for what you're doing. Some great initiatives I, can, I know you're doing here, and we can always do more. Jesus is saying, ask for people to go, and often the answer to your prayer is yourself. And then go. Let's pray.